Welcome to Inside the Rope, a podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Rob Morrison, the founder and portfolio manager of Barwin, a property investment group. We're speaking to Rob today about the fund that Barwin has that focuses on healthcare property. This is a fund that really appeals to people who have a desire for strong, consistent income that can also deal with the five-year window or redemption period that they have with the fund. Please remember that this podcast isn't advice or a recommendation. Listeners are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and also to seek advice prior to making any investments. Please keep the feedback coming. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Your suggestions are really helpful and also suggestions on who we should be talking to in the future. I hope you're keeping safe during these COVID times and I'm sure you'll enjoy this podcast. Rob Morrison, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Good to be with you. Rob, uh, perhaps you could kick off as we like to do on this podcast and give uh, the listeners to the podcast a bit of your background and who is Rob Morrison? Thanks, David. Well, uh, I've uh, had about 35 years in the uh, funds management industry, uh, mainly focused on on real estate. So I kicked off uh, back in uh, about 1985 uh, with AMP working uh, in those days with some of the shopping centres AMP owned uh, and some commercial office buildings. Had uh, the opportunity to do a bit of development work in those days. Um, saw the joys of the early 90s, uh, so I've seen a few cycles over the years, including the GFC, of course, and now uh, now the pandemic. So uh, it's, uh, it's good to have been through a few cycles and see how the real estate sector uh, performs and some of the uh, some of the challenges it can pose. And you're a founder at Barwon, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so uh, I founded Barwon with uh, Sam Armstrong back in 2006, uh, after my AMP uh, era. And, uh, and we kicked off Barwon really to focus on, on two areas, uh, property and, and real estate uh, particularly, and particularly some of the alternative sectors, and also uh, private equity. And so we, we have a philosophy of looking for those markets that we see as being uh, you know, less, less competed, less well-researched, where we can see some real value and uh, where we can do some deep analysis, deep research to, uh, to find good opportunities, and then try and put that into a product or a fund um, that is uh, you know, fee efficient and, uh, and works well for our investors. So that's been a guiding philosophy for us you know, right through our, our 16 years. And, uh, and over that time, we've now developed three key areas, being healthcare property, uh, property finance, where we uh, focus on first mortgage investments and, and our global strategies, which is uh, listed private equity and listed private debt. So uh, the three key focuses for Barwon and uh, we now have a team of 28 staff and uh, our investors are a mix of institutional pension funds as well as uh, some of the leading wealth management firms uh, around the country. And Rob, today we're going to talk about the Barwon Healthcare Property Fund. Um, can you give us a snapshot of that fund, what it seeks to do, its objective, its track record and, and what it's comprised of, please? Yeah, so the, the Bowen Healthcare Property Fund uh, has uh, been operating now for about six years and uh, it really came out of our thinking that um, we wanted to look for a sector in the, in the property market that, as I said earlier, was under-researched, uh, less competed, um, but we particularly like sectors of the market which is supported by demographics and something as, uh, as confident to predict as, as demographics and, uh, and what you see with the ageing Australian population is clearly strong demand for, for healthcare uh, and, uh, and we thought healthcare would present a, a nice diversifying strategy 
uh, that could sit beside existing investments that might, people might have in office, retail or industrial. And so six years ago, we, we did the research, did a deep dive into the sector, and, uh, and what we found was that in Australia, there's not a lot of institutional money in the healthcare sector, but clearly a, a fast-growing sector. It's about 10% of GDP, uh, presents many opportunities for investment, but importantly, it dances to a different tune to office, retail and industrial. It has more resilience, uh, more defensive attributes, and of course, supported by the Australian government. So it had a lot of those kind of elements that we, we like uh, in a market. And uh, I'm pleased to say uh, here we are um, six, seven years later, um, the way it's performed, the way it's operating is very much as we, we expected when we did our initial research. So the Bowen Healthcare Property Fund invests um, mainly into the primary and secondary care sectors of the healthcare markets, that's medical centres, pathology, uh, day surgery and the like. And what we've been able to build is a portfolio of 28 assets uh, across Australia, uh, which uh, have you know, good long leases, good quality tenants, uh, as providing primary and secondary services to the community. So I'm looking at a snapshot here, which is a very helpful uh, uh, piece of information and, and the key things it calls out that I think is helpful for our listeners, that the, the historic income, income return uh, from the fund since uh, October 2014 has been a tad over 7% per annum. Uh, the capital growth has been just uh, just over 1.5% at 1.6% per annum to give a total return of 8.65%. And at, at current, the fund is about $283 million in total. And you said that's 28 assets. Um, and uh, you, you've got a 97% occupancy rate uh, in, inside those 28 properties. Uh, and your average cost of capital, and you, you're gearing at about 40%. I believe, and uh, you've got about a co- the average cost that you're borrowing at for that gearing is at about 2.48%. Um, within the portfolio, what's the, the look of the tenants um, and, and the mix of them? Because I'd imagine anything in property and in property investment, uh, you know, looking at ha- how you're going to collect that rent and the uh, consistency of that's very important. It, it's critically important and uh, that's one of the, the key focuses of our due diligence when we look to acquire a property. But if you look across our portfolio at the moment, uh, a bit over 58% of the uh, portfolio is in medical centres. And so that typically looks like a, uh, a medical centre maybe with 10 to 15 GPs. And then around that medical centre, you'll have pharmacy, physiotherapy, a range of allied health services. And so we, we like that kind of format, like a bit of a super centre for uh, medical care. Um, but we, we also like pathology, obviously a very uh, consistent and uh, fast-growing area of Australia uh, in, in medical treatment. Uh, mental health, we have actually a, a big focus on mental health and um, I think yeah, we all know people, uh, you, know, you know, families or beyond where you know, mental health can be a challenge and, and we see this as being an important area. It's an area which has been underinvested across Australia in the past and so we've had a, quite a focus on mental health facilities, um, particularly in South Australia and also up in, uh, in Queensland. So uh, mental health, medical centres, uh, day surgeries and, and a bit of pathology, they're the key areas where we focus and, uh, and clearly the quality of the tenant is, is critical for that. So we, we prefer the bigger organisations, so groups like Sonic uh, are an important tenant for us, uh, Eastbrook, a large uh, medical centre provider. We tend to focus more on corporate type tenants rather than say individual doctors or, or mum and dad type tenants. And we have a few of those, but, uh, but not many. And I think there's a high percentage of the portfolio actually uh, tenanted to uh, government or government organisations. 
That's right. So Queensland Health is a key tenant for us. Uh, South Australian government is another key tenant, um, particularly in the mental health area. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we like uh, state government tenants. Uh, certainly reliable and paying uh, paying rent. And it's interesting in this COVID times when you look across the the rent we've been receiving, it's been those state government tenants and the, the bigger organisations are the ones that have been you know, pushing through this well and continuing to pay the rent as and when it's due. And uh, I think as we uh, get into these tougher times in Australia, you know, the importance of tenant quality and uh, their balance sheets, reliability of rent payment is going to be critical and uh, that's certainly where we're going to be focusing our, our attention. So, Rob, you alluded to the sort of uncertainties in the markets that we've experienced recently with COVID-19 and uh, the outlook for, you know, tenants to be able to pay rent and, and performance. I think that leads us into a good conversation about healthcare uh, and how it as a sector has performed vis-a-vis other industries. If you're a real estate investor, if you're exposed to office space at the moment, I guess you are scratching your head wondering how people are coming back to work if you're in retail um you know it looks like the lowey's got their timing very very good with their exit from westfield um so retail would seem very very challenging that this COVID time has just expedited that trend towards digital online retail um what are you seeing with healthcare? um you know there's lots of discussion about um telehealth and the uptake of that but uh, what, what's your experience or research into that been over the last few months? Yes yeah, so uh, we, we're seeing um, clearly an increase in telehealth and uh, you know it's been around for a while telehealth but COVID has really brought it to the to the fore and uh, whether it be in mental health services or just general GP consultancy the, uh, the Australian government has been encouraging telehealth and so the rewards for doctors to be using telehealth has been increased during the COVID period so that's clearly been been uh, lifted. Uh, we don't think telehealth is going to stay at these levels longer term. We think the government's probably going to try and you know, pull it back a bit in terms of the, the amount of telehealth going on, uh, but it, it will be an important part of the service delivery in the future. You know, maybe it might be 10 to 15% of, of uh, consultancies in the future, but it's, that's hard to predict. But uh, it has played an important role. And uh, as we know, a lot of GP clinics are very keen uh, not to have too many patients coming through the door um, you know, in person. You know, safety is important at the moment, especially in Victoria. So it, it's, it's got a role to play. But in terms of you know, healthcare versus other sectors, um, you know, we always thought that uh, healthcare would hold up well in a, in a financial downturn. Uh, you know, our scenario has never really forecast a com- combination of uh, downturn in the economy as well as a global pandemic. But it's just interesting, it is holding up well. And if you look at our, our rental receipts, um, you know, we're collecting about 85% uh, of all rent at the moment, um, and uh, about 15% is being subject to uh, rental deferment or rental waiver arrangements. And so you might be aware that the Australian government introduced a protocol to try and guide uh, landlords and how they should deal with tenants during this tough time. And it's interesting, if you look at healthcare, um, we have only had around about 5% of our rent waived, and another 10% is being deferred. Uh, and we're accruing around about 95% of our rents that we normally um, receive. Uh, that compares very favourably to other sectors. So office, uh, that's you know, down toward, you know, towards 70%. Retail is down more towards 65%. Industrial started pretty well, but it's starting to kind of come off month by month. So uh, we are seeing some big shifts happening at the moment in some of the other sectors. And as, as you alluded to, uh, we've all been seeing the, uh, 
you know, increasing importance of e-commerce and retail. I think that's brought to the fore the fact that you know, margins in retail have been getting tough for many retailers. That puts strains on rent payment. And when you have the COVID crisis hitting at the same time, it's really brought that to a, to a head. So we think retail will go through a, a period of tough times over the next few years as rents adjust to the new environment, landlords adjust to the new environment with the tenants. Uh, and so uh, you know, we think that's going to be a, a challenge sector for a period. And we're seeing that in some of the stock prices of some of the leading retailers. Uh, office is an interesting one. Uh, you know, we're all uh, working from home in various ways, many of us. And uh, you know, I think that will mean a, a longer term change to the way offices are used. Uh, we may see occupancy levels go down significantly, maybe particularly the, the smaller tenants uh, who are maybe being impact, impacted harder. We might find those offices, so B-grade offices, suburban offices may find it tougher going than some of the, the biggest CBD office buildings. So probably a bit of a barbell type situation in office between the higher end quality offices and, and some of the secondary. So yeah, periods of adjustment uh, for all sectors, but I, I think you know, relative to office retail industrial, we're really pleased that healthcare seems to be holding up, our tenants are paying their rents, and uh, in fact, we're looking to make further acquisitions. And Rob, uh, to give our listeners a little bit of colour, could you perhaps give an example out of those 28 assets in the portfolio of one that you would love to have you know, 27 more of, and and maybe on the flip side of that, realising that uh, uh, you, you can't get things perfect all the time, what an asset would look like um, that you'd say, well, in hindsight, we may not have entered that today had, had we known what we know today. Yes, well, I think an example of uh, a property that we'd like to have more of is what we're doing up at Logan. So uh, we have a, a quite a large asset in Logan, which is a mental health and alcohol treatment facility. It's one of the better buildings in the Logan area. Logan is just a uh, quite a large, fast-growing municipality just south of Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's leased uh, by Queensland Health, and uh, we've just negotiated with them a new 10-year lease with 4% annual increases, uh, and uh, obviously a high-quality tenant, you know, good growth in the rents, but it's, it's targeting mental health and alcohol addiction. We're actually expanding that uh, property at the moment. Uh, we're spending $10 million to uh, to expand it, given the the demand for the services up there. So that's a really good example of you know, high-quality tenant, good rent, good lease profile, and uh, we'd love to have more of those. Um, areas are less uh, happy, I suppose more challenging, would be um, areas where allied health services are, are more focused on face-to-face contact and um, you know, physical presence. So I'm thinking about gyms, physiotherapy, you know, dentistry, some of those areas right at the moment in the heat of covid uh, are doing it tougher, and uh, and obviously in Victoria at the moment, especially so. So uh, that much bit, bit of a barbell there between the you know, longer lease, you know, high quality government tenants versus maybe more private SME type tenants that are more focused on allied health services. So a bit of a split there, but we've got very little exposure to um, to those single uh, tenants uh, in the SME area. And Rob, how do you assess the risk within? these assets that uh, is due to government uh, legislation? Yeah, it, it's obviously hard to forecast government legislative changes. Obviously, we, we watch Canberra and their moves closely, but uh, the, the way we combat that is to make sure that uh, we have good diversification across the portfolio. So we make sure we've got exposure to you know medical centres, to pharmacy, to dentistry, to, uh, to mental health. Uh, and all those areas are covered by different forms of legislation. And and in the end, um, we do take the view that um, you know, 
healthcare services are essential services. You know, it's critical infrastructure for Australia, critical infrastructure for the community, and uh, and so important uh, in the eyes of the community when they're thinking about which government they're going to uh, vote for. So um, it's, it is quite difficult for the government to make uh, wholesale changes to legislation concerning the healthcare sector. Uh, we saw that in the past when they tried to make a few tweaks to uh, to the payment for GPs. You know, a lot of a lot of political fallout out of that. So um, we watched it, uh, but we we haven't seen anything in the past that's been a, a critical blow to uh, one particular sector, which would then lead to you know, issues with paying rent. It's it's a pretty resilient sector. And, and the other comment I would make is that relative to retail, uh, especially rents in the healthcare sector are, are reasonably low. You know, they, we would estimate that less than ten percent of turnover of many medical operators. And so rent is not a huge impost for them. You know, clearly it's got to be paid. But uh, it's not at the heights that we often see uh, in retail, where where rent could be anything up to twenty percent of the turnover of a tenant. So there's more capacity to pay. And what would you see the average as a percentage of turnover in the medical area across well, we, your portfolio? Would you estimate? It is only an estimate because you don't have you know sure, straight through. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like the yeah, retail space. <laughs> they don't. We don't get turnovers. Uh, it's, although we have had a lot more information recently during COVID, but uh, we'd estimate it's less than 10%, maybe an 8 to 10% range. Uh, some of the bigger private hospital operators would operate rents at around about 40 to 45% of, uh, of EBIT. It raises an interesting point that COVID's actually allowed you to see the P&L of some of your tenants um, and how they've come off, and, and you may be able to extrapolate from that or work out uh, positions at rent return uh, at uh, when leases come for for renewal. It may uh, give you some advantage. It, it'll be helpful. I think it's always important you know, as, as a landlord, uh, as much as you can, to get close to your tenants to understand their businesses. Uh, and uh, so it has been, you know, one of the positives of this uh, period is that our asset management team have really had boots on the ground. You can imagine some of the discussions our asset management team have had to have with tenants. They've been challenging. Uh, the tenants have generally been, you know, good. We had a few tenants in the early days being a little bit opportunistic perhaps, uh, but once we uh, started pushing for, for information, for evidence of the, uh, of the impact of COVID on their, their businesses, those conversations became far more grounded and, uh, and, and, and more constructive. And, and uh, I guess I'm very proud of the, the Barwon team and what they've done over the last three months to, uh, to have that rental profile that we've achieved. Uh, and we, we, we're pretty optimistic too that uh, over the next uh, year or so that it's going to continue about these levels. Um, although I would caveat by saying that clearly the developments in Victoria are concerning and uh, we're watching that closely. Sure. Uh, to that extent, are there any nursing homes in the portfolio? No. So the, the portfolio has no uh, aged care or retirement exposure. It's, it's, it's medical, medical services um, generally, and, uh, and also no pure development. So we don't take on pure development risk. We will expand existing facilities and we will fund our development through and, and acquire the property on completion, uh, but we don't do pure greenfields developments. Um, this fund is all about uh, income certainty, diversification, nice consistent returns um, that will fit very nicely into a self-managed super fund or a, a private portfolio. And Rob, when I run my eyes down the list of assets in the portfolio, um, it seems that the, you know, the average price must be around 10 million. And they range from you know about 3.9 on the low side to a you know 17 odd million on the high side when when you're looking to purchase those who are you competing with because 
it strikes me that you may in fact have a little bit of a competitive advantage here that they're probably too small for your larger real estate um, uh, trusts, um, you know, your Dexas's and so forth in this space. And they may be too big on average for your average um, private investor or, or starting to push you know, small consortiums or so forth. Who, who do you see as your main competitor? And then also what, what's the current market like? Yes, so you're right, David. Um, we found that kind of nice zone between the small privates and the bigger institutions for this fund. Uh, and interestingly, if you look at our acquisitions over the last six years, I'd estimate that about 60 to 70% of our acquisitions have been off market. There have been transactions we've done through our own network of medical and healthcare providers. And one thing we've learned over that time is that um, you know, being close to those providers, knowing their businesses, almost being a partner in their growth. Uh, does give us a bit of an advantage in, um, in in finding opportunities, perhaps a bit ahead of some of the others. Um, our, our competitors include, uh, you know, Heathley, Centuria, um, Australian Unity are, are out there as well, um, and there's a, a few other smaller groups starting to to look at the sector. But um, we have been one of the first movers in the area, and you know, I think the expertise we've developed and the context we have uh, has given us some advantage in in finding opportunities. And Rob. On the other side of that, who to date most of your investors seem to have been institutional. Um, if you if you talk if you could maybe talk a little bit to why they're investing in fund, uh, well, who they generally what they look and feel like, um, and why they're choosing to invest in this sort of fund and where they see it, see it fitting in the portfolio. And maybe uh, it, it occurs to me that this fund would appeal a lot to people with some sort of um, social uh, ESG type overlay um, or ethical overlay or impact. Um, perhaps you could talk to that as well. Yeah, well. When we started our research into the healthcare property sector back you know, six, seven years ago, one of the things that we found pretty early in that uh, investigation was that if you look at the US, the big pension funds in the US have been investing into healthcare property for many years. So for them, when they talk about their core property strategies, they talk about office, retail, industrial, and healthcare as the fourth leg, and, uh, and that's quite common. But that wasn't the case six, seven years ago in Australia. But fast forward to today, um, you know, bound we have many of the larger pension funds, super funds here in Australia, investing with us into our, our large institutional healthcare fund. And their thinking is, is, is very much that they want to have a diversifier. So they want to have something that uh, will dance to a different tune to their office, retail, industrial portfolios, and want that reliability of the healthcare uh, income streams. And they recognise that healthcare is not just a defensive sector, but also growth. You know, it is about 10% of Australia's GDP. It's growing at about 6 to 7% per annum, being driven by demographics, which is, is good. Uh, but the other thing that's driving it is, of course, is technology. So, you know, the more technology is advancing in healthcare, whether it be in, in radiology, pathology, you know, robotic surgery, uh, the list go on, the more you have intelligence going into the healthcare sector, it almost seems to create more services. You know, unlike say Uber, which is a disruptor mm. in healthcare, the more um, medical advances there are, there's more screening, the more surgeries you can do, the more healthcare services are created. So it's a bit of a bit of a different beast there. And so uh, the big super funds have seen that and uh, and also you know wealth groups like yourselves uh, are seeing that um, interesting dynamic of being a defensive sector but with 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 good growth. So that's what they're after, and uh, and that's why I think we're getting increasing interest. And I think the biggest obstacle I would assume is the five-year liquidity window. 
uh, i.e. every five years you allow people, um, if they want to take their capital off the table, um, to do that. And I believe, you can correct me here, that um, that is a two, that, that then gives Barwon up to two years to fill those people who want to get their capital back, noting that I think you had a window open in 2019 and you filled everyone in in, in one month. Um, but I guess that two years allows that if, you know, there's some sort of uh, crisis going on in markets and, and everybody wants their money back at once uh, and you have to sell properties um, in order to, to fulfill those redemptions, you've got a, a period of two years. But um, maybe if you could just talk about why you have that five year um, sort of gate there or, or, or opening and, and how that works and how people have reacted to that. Yes, no, we, um, we felt we broke a bit of new ground when we designed the fund around this because uh, it, was, it was very much thought through and that you know, property in the end is an illiquid asset class, you know, the stamp duty and other kind of costs of transactions. And so when you set up a fund, it needs to be you know, sensibly constructed, which gets the right balance between you know, liquidity uh, and, and the, you know, the, uh, the facts and realities of the sector. And so the five-year cycle, we thought, was a sensible period to make an investment. You invest, you have your transaction costs, you have enough time for the returns to come through to be uh, attractive. Then there's a liquidity opportunity at the end of year five. And then, as you said, we've got a two-year period, should we need it, to uh, meet all redemption requests. And that just makes sure that um, we're not a forced seller. We don't have to be you know, selling in too quick a time um, and, and doing any damage to investor returns over that period. But, but in reality, what we've found uh, so far is that um, the amount of liquidity requests at the end of five years was, was quite modest. Um, we've had very strong demand for this fund uh, for the reasons that I've outlined today. And so we've been able to meet those redemption requests very quickly, in fact, within a month, and, uh, and we move on. And so, um, you know, we'll obviously use our best endeavours, you know, throughout the period if there's a special circumstance where we, you know, can meet somebody's liquidity requests um, during that period, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do that. But formally, um, every five years we can, um, you know, offer liquidity and, uh, you know, we think the fund is well set up so to handle that. Rob? Thank you very much. I think that's a good place to uh, finish the podcast. Thanks for your time. Um, stay safe during this period. Um, thanks for your, for your time today. Thanks, David. Nice to be with you. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.